0: Hello and welcome to the Irish Film London podcast. If you're a regular listener, it's lovely to have you back. And if you're a first-timer, welcome. For those first-timers, I'm Neve, and I'm joined here by the head of Irish Film London, Jerry. And we're going to do a quick recap of all things film and TV before handing you over to our interview today with writer, producer and director and good friend of IFL, Roisin Kearney. So, Jerry, how are you?
1: Not too bad. How's it going, Nave?
0: Good, good. Has there been any cinema trips for you this week?
1: No. Do you know, I was really good about going to the cinema, like, a fortnight ago, and I just haven't made it back since. Um, yeah. I've really wanted to go, though. There's so much, so much good stuff out. It's like, this possibility of going back to the cinema is a real thing again now.
0: I, I know. It's such a treat because it they only opened last week for us here in dublin mm. so my first trip this week was to the quiet place part two which was amazing um but i don't know whether it was because i just missed the cinema so much or that it was actually just a really good film but i just left yeah. the cinema on such a high um although i did make the rookie mistake of buying popcorn which was a bad idea for a film where the main plot is that they have to stay silent to stay alive. (laughs) So needless to say, the popcorn didn't get touched the whole film.
1: Is that one of those cinema experiences where you have like, you're chewing your popcorn at strategic moments? Oh, yeah. Mouthfuls of popcorn that you just can't get rid of.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) It's awful. And one person got nachos. Like, I thought I was bad with popcorn. (laughs) Someone got oh. no one. Such a waste of I don't know why people get nachos anyway, but such a waste of money for that film. But I would highly recommend it. And uh, one of our own, Killian Murphy, is in it, who's incredible. I did like if I ever did meet Killian Murphy, I'd love to ask him, would he, w- which would he prefer to live in the kind of the quiet place world or Twenty Eight Days Later? Oh, yeah. Okay. Two very <laughs> different. Different kind of places, but both <laughs> extremely kind of dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. he was fantastic. His accent was flawless.
1: That's great. That's great. No, I didn't get to go to any cinema trips or do any cinema screenings this week. Um, I did have a nice home viewing experience. Um, I managed to get a copy of Songs for While I'm Away, the Phil biopic, biopic um, by oh, Ian Kennedy. I've um, been dying to ha- watch that property for a while and I managed to sit down with it oh, and, and have a go at it there during the week I mean it, it, you know it's been nominated for an IFTA this week and we'll talk about the IFTAs in a minute like, but um, I am 100% the target audience for this film mm. 100% like um, grew up listening to Thin Lizzy, been to, like, when I was 19 or 20 or something like that we started going to vicar street and different venues in dublin for um there's this gig that used to happen every year in january called the vibe for philo um, which is like a gig that um some friends and family and stuff put on around around his birthday and i think the very last vibe is coming up this january if they can make it happen it's Mm -hmm. going to be like a kind of a big thin lizzie festival
0: that sounds really and,
1: special. Mm. Yeah, me and my my friend Dave, who became my brother-in-law, we used to go to them, and um, various people went down with us over the years and stuff. But like, it's so nice to so nice to, to like relive the kind of the story of Thin Lizzy through this this beautiful biopic. It's very tender and sort of paints a really nice picture of you know a person who had a complicated life and who you know it it, it takes away the. Takes away the 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 rock star stuff and reveals the person underneath mm. it. You know,
0: that's really nice as a as a fan that you felt that, it, you know, that they did it justice and they did it right and yeah, kind of you left being quite satisfied. That's good. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Do you want to hear my touching Thin Lizzy story? Absolutely. Right. So Thin Lizzy have a ballad called Sarah, mm-hmm. which is. um it's, it's a, I didn't realise this until I watched the film. It's about Phil's daughter, Sarah. Mm. Um, so we wrote it kind of for her. Um, and so when, when me, and, me and my brother-in-law, before he was married to my sister, he, they, were, they were going out with each other. And we, I used to hang out at his house a lot. And uh, it was over one Friday. And Sarah, my sister Sarah, had come up from, um, from Dublin, from, from uh, university for the weekend. And she brought the car up and uh Dave her husband used to do this nice thing where he'd like she'd come in and you know after her journey and stuff and he'd like get the car ready for the next trip you know so that when someone has to go out for work in the morning the car's turned around and everything's nice and everything and during the evening I realized oh we're um we're missing something maybe we needed beers with the for the evening or something Actually, I'll jump in the car um I'm on the insurance I'll jump in the car and I'll go down to the down to the shop and pick a few things up Anybody want anything, and everyone's busy inside. Right? Okay, I'm away I'll season. So, I jump in the car, turn this old like Renault Cléo on, and the tape deck starts playing straight away. Right? And there's oh, there was always a Thin Lizzie tape or something like that in the tape deck, and it starts kicking in. And I I know that Dave had queued up the tape right at the point where Sarah starts playing. Sarah oh. Thin Lizzie starts playing it because he wanted her to hear that first thing in the morning.
0: Oh, she, that's so <laughs> lovely. <laughs> They've so, setting the bar high, wow.
1: I know, I
0: know, yeah, yeah. Oh, that is very sweet. Yes. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And also, actually, one of our other podcasts that we had with Alfonso Films, one of the producers in Alfonso Films, Joe Halpin, um, mm. also worked on the Thin Lizzy documentary as well.
2: Brilliant.
0: But it is, so yes, as you said, it's nominated for an IFTA, which is amazing. And this year's nominations list is just off the charts
1: unbelievable list of films like I just can't get over the talent, the quality there's just Mm -hmm. so much going on and you know we do what we do at Irish Film London but like there's so many films and individuals on that list that that we've had on as guests or that we've talked to over the last couple of years it's beautiful to see all that work being represented and being awarded hopefully and
0: absolutely it's so yeah. it's so rewarding to see it all being acknowledged all that hard work exactly. and some of the uh, nominees are some of our patrons which is amazing so we have yeah, yes. mo dunford is on there for knuckle dust Susha ronan Anna Mice, lenny abramson and Fiona Shaw, and then there's just loads of other IFL friends on there like mm. Andrew Scott and then there's, um, I think there's three out of the six short films nominated that we've had yes, I that. Film From Home which is fantastic, it's yeah. just absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah, I saw My Other Suitless Human is on there, Kathleen um, was here last month, one of my favourite films that we had, an Irish Film From Home was Flickr, and that's on there as well. But also um, herself is on there. Mm-hmm. We had a podcast with Claire Dunn previously. The Eighth is on there. Um, I think that was our last podcast that we did, or maybe the one before that was, was with the filmmakers from the Eighth. Um, Wolf Walkers is obviously nominated. There was a podcast with that as well. Wildfire is on there, which we screened in our St. Bridget's Day selection earlier this year mm-hmm. um, and which has a release soon. It's
0: just loads of stuff. And also, it's also a reflection of Irish film London being on it, if I do say so ourselves. Uh, We've like yeah. been able to showcase so many amazing things. And as I was saying with Killian Murphy having an amazing American accent in It's a Quiet Place, we also have nominated as Jesse Buckley for I'm thinking about ending things, she's American and that, Neve Algar and Raised by Wolves, Nicola Coughlin and Bridgerton. And I just think I was saying to a friend of mine during the week as Irish actors and I'm going to include myself in that category That's that true. we're quite lucky that we're quite versatile with our ability to do different accents and our luck you know to, we could be English or American or even like Nordic when you think about Vikings and that kind of thing so I think Irish talent is really kind of spreading and growing which is amazing it's
1: it's just a testament to the power of Irish film today which is what we're all about at Irish Film London
0: um, exactly exactly so I think now that's a lovely note to um to hand us on over to the interview so Jerry, you sat down with writer producer and director Roisin Kearney this week
1: I did and we had a lovely chat um which started off being about her work but was became very wide-ranging really and became about things um so yeah enjoy that and we'll see you here again in a couple of weeks
0: Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Eve.
1: Well, um, Roisin, um, you're somebody who we have a good relationship with at Irish Film London. Um, I believe we would have featured your film The Family Way in 2019. Um, since I've been at IFL, we've had both... The Ferry which you were a producer on uh, and your short film Paddy which was at our St Patrick's Day Festival in 2021 which you were a director on. Um, So it's really nice to be able to chat to you today and yeah thanks for your time, thanks for coming on.
3: Lovely to be here, thank you very much for asking
1: me. So the first thing I want to ask you about is on the family way you're you are a writer on the ferry, you were a producer, and on Paddy, you were the director. Um, that's three different roles for three different films. Um, like, are do you see yourself as more of one thing than another? Or like, what, what? How do you describe yourself as a filmmaker? Well,
3: what I what I do most of the time, and what I love doing, is writing, and more recently, directing. And hmm. um, they're both things that I've did previously when I was much younger, when I worked in theatre, and they would be my main focus. Um, From a producing point of view, I produced The Family Way and wrote it for my my sins. Um, I didn't know I was going to be producing it when I was writing it. If I had, it would have been a very different script, (laughs) but uh, I ended up doing both. But it was... Yeah, I, I love writing comedy. I love writing dark comedy. And that's where I started off with The Family Way. And I had previously produced two short films um, for Naomi Sheridan prior to that.
1: Okay.
3: And which kind of came out of nowhere. She, she was home for a year and we just kind of sat down one day and said, let's make something. And she had two scripts. So off we went and we went and made them. Which gave me the confidence then to, to really go on. And when it came to The Family Way, to actually make it. And then Nuno Bernardo, who is the director of The Family Way, um, when he saw the script, he really liked what was going on. And then we worked together on it and we developed it on a little bit more and went and shot it in, it was yeah it was madness shooting it it's a it's quite a, it's a pilot as well as a short film so there's two cuts of it there's one right. like 30 minute tv cut mm.
2: there's
3: one 18 and a half minute short film cut and it was six days on i don't know nine or ten locations Oof. with a cast hitting nearly 40
2: Oof.
3: So it it was a it was a big one to start off with. Yeah, <laughs> you can find yourself into, but
1: it was wow. great. Wow, is that one of your yeah. first projects then?
3: That was yeah, that was my first sort of writing and big producing wise. Um, wow. Just because it was so big, because I was doing everything, I was doing locations, I was doing everything. You know, we would no budget, yeah, we were yeah. going out there and doing it. And um, I was really lucky because because I, a lot of people that I knew from years prior to that that I'd worked with came on board and played parts and a lot of actors there was like a lot of writer actors as well which I was I kind of wanted to make a little grouping there because it is comedy and it is funny it is the film is about a mother and daughter who both think they might be pregnant at the same time and go chasing around the place to find a pregnancy test (laughs) discreetly Right. But of course, living in small town <laughs> Ireland, that's never going to happen because the chemist knows everything. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's basically kind of the fundamentals behind it. But we was great fun and, there was, and the cast were brilliant and just, the whole thing worked out really well. I was very lucky. I was really lucky that a lot of people did me a lot of
1: favours. So that's good stuff. good stuff. How do you deal with how do you deal with like putting different hats on? in in these different roles like is it do you find yourself kind of moving from like a writer headspace to a director headspace and then back into producing again or like is there I
3: I would say I'd say I find the writing very very different to everything Mm. else because when I'm writing I I rely very heavily on just having that absolute silence and getting inside the heads of people and nearly letting them tell me what's going to happen or what's happening. You know, it's all very well coming up. You have a concept, you have an idea or you have a problem that someone is going to face and then how you build that around. But I tend to write script and treatment at the same time um, and go backwards and forwards. And because sometimes, I need to get to know the characters while I'm writing them and sometimes the only way I can do that is by listening to them you know what I mean and actually writing script or seeing their reactions um or you know feeling what they would be in a certain place then from a directing point of view it's it's all about visualizing how each moment each scene plays out so for Paddy I was directing someone else's script and that was the first time I'd done that. I'd never directed someone else's script before, but I really enjoyed it because it was, I felt I was coming at it really, really fresh and I was just playing it over and over and over again and how each moment right the way through was gonna look. And then Mm. fantastic crew, like just amazing crew and actors and everyone just worked so hard that I was, Delighted with the end result, you know, and um, yeah, I suppose coming from a theatre background as well, it's it's to me everything is about the team. Yeah, you know, it doesn't make you know any individual can be fantastic. This great that it's, but it's how people work together because it's a it's Mm. it's a team sport. Making Mm. film is a team sport. That's you know so true. Um, and you might have the coach or you might have the captain, but Everyone has to work together. And when that works well, you can end up with a fantastic end result. You can score the goal. But uh, yeah, different hats, different times. Then obviously with the ferry I was producing as well, and that was Niall McKay and Marissa Arroy was producing Mm -hmm. with me. Mm -hmm. And I've known Niall for a good few years and we'd always have stuff going backwards and forwards. And then he had... The fairy script, and I read it, and I just I loved it. And it's again, it's a darkness. There's a darkness, and the you know that's there of uh, the mother and baby homes and the personal tragedies that were happening in and around that. Mm. And but there's also a little thread of humour, you know. Yeah. That's how we deal with stuff. You know completely. completely. Yeah. So. Again, that would be something that's it's the way I like to approach story and people <clears throat> and individuals in those stories. Yeah. So it, it fitted very, very well, you know.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> because that's like that's something I was going to talk to you about as well. Is that like in all of your work that that I've seen and all of the all of the stuff that we featured at Irish for in London, there is this theme of like in the family way, there's this kind of window into small town life in ireland and the ferry is obviously about a tragedy that's dealt with by i suppose almost three different generations of women in in different ways and paddy mean paddy's more specifically about the irish emigrant experience in a sense but there's always this sense of an an irish experience like a, a uniquely irish experience to all the work um and I suppose, I suppose my question is like, whether you think that that's a deliberate thing that you want to do in your storytelling or whether you're attracted to stories which which talk about Irishness or Irish experience or whether that's just a, a part of being an Irish filmmaker.
3: I think it's a little, it's a little bit of both. Um, obviously, as someone who's Irish, I, you know, we've all waved goodbye, we've all gone away, we've all heard the stories of, you know, and it, okay, things are different now and, you know, people can move around a lot better now, but there's there's a fundamental loss, I think, going back generations. You know, it, it goes back to common times, it goes back to that of, people having to leave or having to go. And then the reverse of that is, you know, there's an awful lot of people I know who like live in the States or live in the UK or France, wherever it is, or Australia and New Zealand. And they're living wonderful lives with Mm. lots of brilliant people around them who they enjoy immensely. But they still do long for a little bit of home. Like they still long for that spontaneous night having a pint and someone breaks out a fiddle like you know they still <laughs> you know it might never happen in the real world yeah. but in their head it's you know it's part of what's missing it's it's kind of like the hug or whatever you know <clears throat> and that, i think that goes down generations as well i think people even if they're second or third generation yeah there's something there in the stories but also there's a universal thing like the family way is the mother and daughter that's universal you know that that relationship and the three women in who are three different generations who have all been affected by the a loss of a child in -hmm. some way you know a loss of a parent a loss of a child being involved as one of the characters is in that um that's identifiable throughout the world. Yeah, you know, it's it's the women's relationship and how they relate to each other and how they help each other through a very very difficult time. And then with Paddy, it's it is the reverse as in it's a very young man, but his mother's character is still in Ireland in her head, and she's raising an Irish boy in her head, but she's not. Yeah, a young london boy yeah so what she feels he is and what he is are two different things mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. so
3: she she wants to bring up an irish boy in london but she's not doing she's bringing up a london boy yes in london
2: okay. i see
3: so and again that's fairly universal i think i think an awful lot of people can identify that from one space or the other there's very few people now who are lucky enough that if they want, they're born and live and work and do whatever in the place they were born into and <clears throat> historically have that, you know? It's not um, it's not something that, you know, people move and, like, sometimes I think in Ireland we're funny, like, we, like, <laughs> we have this thing of, like, wanting to be around in the same area you know your cousins are down the road and, uh,
2: yeah. You know,
3: yeah yeah yeah. and uh, that's not like then you go to the states and people are like oh well I moved six hours away and you're like oh my that's like the other side of the world <laughs> <laughs> they can't figure that out but uh, maybe that's it maybe we're all maybe we're all just little home birds and we all like to you know go back to thinking <laughs> yeah.
2: thinking,
3: thinking about being in, in our little bed in the top of the house you know but yeah, no, all three—they're all interrelation. They're all about interrelationships, and I think every every story, to a certain extent, yes, we have our protagonist who's going off to, to do whatever, and we have our antagonist who's going to get in their way,
2: mm-hmm. and that's
3: fine. But what people identify with are relationships, right? And that's what I like to write about. That's what I like to see.
1: Is that structure of storytelling, the, like the protagonist and antagonist, and like universal themes and so on, are those the tools that you're using? that you feel are important for you to use to exploit, to, to, to create an original story?
3: I think, I think like, I love ensemble. I love ensemble film. Right. I love ensemble theatre. You know, um, I think ultimately you have to have the, the person that, someone is, that people are going to identify with, the, the person whose story you are going to follow throughout. Mm. And that's a certain type of um, narrative that's going to be there. But it can be really, really subtle. You know, just because you have one that just skims above the water, um it I think you have to know as a writer. I think you have to know who your protagonist is, who your individual is that you're following. And that can change sometimes because sometimes you can be writing and then all of a sudden one of the other characters is just better fun to be around, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it shifts. But um they're uh yeah, I, like, I mean, ultimately, you have to have that identity, you know, you need your you need to give your audience someone to root for. Yes. And so in that way, absolutely, yes, you do need your kind of protectors. But at the same time, that doesn't mean you have to diminish the rest of the characters around that, you know, they can be um, the, every character that ever is appears in any space on screen. Needs to be important, yes. As soon as you move away from that, um, you lose it. Like, I mean, it it doesn't matter if they've no lines, they Mm. still have a backstory, they still have you know Mm. the story moving forward. I think that's quite important to me because even from an actor's point of view, I think they need that energy to know what they're doing and why they're doing it,
1: yes. Yeah, so what's your background then, like, from before these? short films like how did you get into film or how did you how did you become a filmmaker what was your journey into this life
3: (laughs) into this madness I was I worked in theatre so I after college I went and I was working city Arts centre theatre and I was in there as the in-house technician so I was lighting and sounding and working with different shows coming in and out all the time so like every you know week or two you had a new group in new show on so I worked a lot of that I've always worked an awful lot with kids so I always kind of worked with kids in and around the pier street area and markovich flats as well at the same time and we'd have music gigs and comedy gigs and all you know all sorts of stuff and then I worked I did some acting in theater <laughs> um actually I don't actually I quite like theater I always have And uh, I did a lot of ensemble theater. So you were always creating narrative and creating scripts that way. Then I did a little bit of work writing actually for De for pilots where I got to rewrite female characters in scripts because they found that the female characters were a little bit uh, one dimensional in the stuff that they were doing so they so I used to I got I got a few scripts to go back through and write scenes for the women get the way get give the
1: women a bit (laughs) to do yeah okay I did did that that's a job that you can have in tv I didn't realize well it
3: was it was in the early 90s I don't I don't think it's a job you can have anymore but it it was certainly for the pilot stuff back and I would like I mean it was actually brilliant experience for me because (laughs) Um, but uh, yeah, in, in the nineties, that was a job.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. So, so hopefully, we're a long way. We're a long way. Hopefully, yes. Past. Hopefully, we're a, a, a yeah. way bit further on.
3: And then yeah, then I went off and I was working in the Arc Children's Theatre. I worked with them for years. Worked freelance, so I kind of toured an awful lot and went to lots of different theatres all around right. the place. Then I uh, there was a film called The Crooked Mile, which a friend of mine was making. Which was a feature film shot in digital. The first digital
1: feature One of the films. first ever digital features,
3: yeah. First ever digital feature. And I'd done a few, I kind of acted a little bit on a few shorts and stuff for like Dunleary and helped out and some of that stuff. Cause there's a few friends that were going through Dunleary.
2: Mm.
3: Um, but that was all that was all shot in film and on the Crooked Mile. And we went off to Jersey for four and a half weeks and shot there and then back to Dublin for a week mm. and that was a great experience you know it was <clears throat> shoestring budget shooting on digital it was all you know brilliant actors you know great crew again Stephen Kane was the writer mm. um, and yeah it was a brilliant experience then I actually did a second film feature with Stephen after that again And then just bits and pieces, really, for, like, helping out people because people kind of went backwards and forwards. And filmmaking was so expensive. Oh, yeah. That it really was very difficult to make anything, you know, Mm. because you couldn't go out with your phone and make a film. You know, it, (laughs) it was, like, the budget for a short would have been... At the ve- and like without paying anyone, at the very very least, you were talking seven to ten thousand at the time. Yeah. Which was the guts of a year's wages for a lot of people. You yeah. know, it was huge money, and um, you'd be beg, you'd beg, borrow, and steal everything to try and make anything. So that that you know, it was a difference, very different circumstances. And then anyway, I worked away in theater and film, going up backwards and forwards, doing a few bits and pieces, whatever anyone needed me to do. I worked on Pavin Lacking as well, which was great fun. Um, that was shot over a huge amount of time um, with Winnie Mon, who was, I loved being with them. I just really, really <laughs> nice family and really good fun. And yeah, it was great. But uh, I was pregnant at the time and then I had a baby, number one. And uh, then I found there wasn't as much uh, work around very very quickly <laughs> after reproducing. So, <laughs> uh, so then I had two more, just to, like if in for a penny, in for a pound. So I kind of then I read scripts and I would do notes and do that sort of stuff for people, but I wasn't actively doing stuff for a good period of time for a good few years, just because one. The phone stopped ringing as much as it had previously, and two because it was just so impractical. Yeah, you know because there were certainly no rules about how long you were shooting on a set. At. Well, there were probably where, but I had no idea what they were supposed to be because <laughs> <of them.
2: laughs> yeah. you know
3: on the smaller stuff you know, and um, and that that's when so big gap. Three kids got bigger and then Naomi was home for the year and she was like, I want to make something. And that's really what sprang me back into action in a lot of ways. I'd made a little tiny short before that myself with a friend, um, just for fun. And it was kind of, but it was much more theater, script-wise, okay. um, script-wise. And then we did prodigy and we have each other with the two shorts with Naomi and that got me back going that it kind of gave me back confidence my confidence was kind yeah. of shattered at that point
0: so mm. um and then have continued ever since so yeah <laughs> that's my journey <laughs> well listeners I hope you're enjoying the interview so far just a quick reminder that the ifl podcast is completely independent so i would ask that if you enjoy yourself or you love popping onto our website to check out the films we put up for you guys to consider making a donation or becoming a champion if money is tied at the moment even just spreading the word about us would be really wonderful just before i hand you back over we'd like to thank culture ireland and the irish emigrant support program for their ongoing support of our work including this podcast series
1: That journey of, like, leaving the industry for a while and coming back in, that's something that we've talked about a lot this year at Irish Film London and a lot of our, um, a lot of our interviews and our industry-focused sessions is, like, well, support for parents and carers in the first instance, like, there's obviously a lot of, a lot of different focus on that now, um, and amazing organisations out there, like Raising Films, who we've spoke to um, for some of our mental health focus sessions and support focus sessions. And um, the, the research that they're doing and the uh, industry insights that they're gathering is really super important. But, but to a lesser extent than what you're describing, I've, I've definitely felt that pressure as a father with young kids Um, in the industry and and I think like I don't know I mean like I suppose people feel it at at every level but like if you're if you're working in a creative role where there's less of I don't know like in some ways there's less structure well there is there's there's definitely there's loads less structure to your day to your week like you can't really turn around to your partner if you're lucky to have one and, and or whoever's Picking up the slack of caring for you and say, "All right, yeah, so we're going to have um, a nine to five day, and I'll be I'll see you, at, you know, five forty five for for dinner and everything." No, you can't. You can't even tell someone most days what where you're going to be or what you're going to be doing that morning. You know, it's just it's it's so tough. Like,
3: yeah, no, it's a huge it's a huge but it's a huge issue. But it's something that has to get be addressed. I mean, oh yeah, they lo- talent is getting lost and either in London or in Ireland, we can't afford to lose that talent. That's We can't afford to lose those people. And yes, I'm in a very lucky position now. My kids are big enough. They can do their own stuff, you know? And, um, but I see it all the time. And like, I can't, in some ways, I can't believe that 17, like my eldest is 17, 17 years later, we're still here. We're still Mm. having this discussion because ultimately it has to come from the top down and, People have to look at their budgets and say, instead of saying, oh, we can shoot this in 18 days. That's great. Say, actually, no, we can give people proper days. Make sure that, you know, there's stuff around on set, because once you know what's happening, you can you can adjust around it. So if you know I'm going to have a night shoot on Wednesday, you can make your plans. You can do what you're going to do. And we all know stuff runs over and that's fine. We can adjust a little bit. But, you know, you can't make it just an industry for people who don't have to care for someone else and that's whether it be a children be it siblings be it parents be it you know anyone around them you know yeah because by losing those people you're losing story and you're losing knowledge and you're you're losing experience
1: experience exactly what i was going to say yeah
3: and if we're making things that are representative of society then we have to represent society
1: Yeah, and that's the other thing that I was going to chime in with as well is that if you don't have a facility in place to allow for people who have care and responsibilities of any kind to maintain a career, then the only people who are left in the industry are those who are settled and secure and comfortable enough economically and everything else um, so that all the jobs go to them. So that's people that who, who... you know, the, the, a, a huge percentage of people on the bottom of that scale are are hard done by just because there's no babysitting for provision or you know there's oh, no thought towards it
3: completely and even like from a cost perspective like that's one of the reasons that even when there was bits and pieces that came in like it had to pay enough for me to pay someone else to mind the kids mm-hmm. you know and <laughs> so if something's going to be six hours or eight hours or 10 hours or whatever it is, then you have to factor in the fact that, well, it's going to be like, a ten, say it's a 10 or an hour for the kids to be minded. Yeah. It has to be worth that much more to you. And even if it's a break-even situation, which we've all been at, we've oh, all yeah. been in those break-even situations, it's, yeah, you, you need that. And like, when I, I was lucky, I kind of, I had saved, over years um, because i knew if i was going to get back i was going to need you know a few like three or four grand to be able to go in and say right i'm going to make something so i I literally put it away over years and when i made the family way thankfully so many people like i mean kiera and clara who played the leading roles in that were fantastic talented actresses and um would always you know have stuff on and all the rest and I didn't know prior to it when I sent them the script they were like I want to do this I want to do it and then everyone else who came on board put their trust in me to say you know we'll so basically everyone else paid for that film and then I paid for the food because giving me their time is paying for the film you know and And then I do it back, like I'll do whatever, you know, everyone that have, I'll always try. And that's the way we work. I mean, we do, we all do a little bit of that, but I was very lucky to be able to do that. I was very lucky to be able to save up the few quid and do whatever, you know, more needs to be done. We need, we need to, I was on a, did a shoot with, I did it actually was a kid's TV show called Game Remote and we ran a family friendly set. And all our days started at about 10 and we all finished before six every single day. And that was the way it was done. It was, um, b- when we went into it, Triona, who was the producer and I was associate producer on it, <clears throat> that was a really important part to us. We were running a family friendly set mm-hmm. and there were three people on set who had young children. And they knew I'll be able to drop them to creche and I'll be able to pick them up. And yeah. that was really important for us because we're both, we were both mothers and we both could see, we'd both been through the situation yeah. where you're
1: that's not easy. And w- was that possible on that production because it was kids TV and you were working with with you with young performers as well? Or because their their hours would have been um like young performers aren't allowed to work legally for yeah. like as long as mm. long as
3: yeah. adults, I suppose. A little bit, but not really because we'd six of them and they weren't on set at the same time. Right. So by rights, we could have worked one after the other, after the other, after the other. You know, mm-hmm. but we chose not to. You
0: Amazing. know,
3: we chose to do it in a way that, and it wasn't like it really wasn't that much more expensive. It Was You know, it didn't. It wasn't that difficult. Yeah. You know.
1: It so could it's be done. It is um, possible, like, and it has. Oh, it took planning. Like, absolutely,
3: it. Yeah, absolutely. It took. It took. It took planning. It took. The extra effort but it can be done and like if you're making kids tv it should you know you should be able to have it accessible for crew hmm. and for everyone else involved and like i'm not saying i didn't like send emails at like 10 o'clock at night that's fine because i was at home <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> but, uh, and that was me and i was associated with you you know that's fine but um even weekends you know we didn't do weekends Mm -hmm. Which was fantastic. Some people could actually have weekends. And yes, it's TV. It's not film. I know that. Yes, it's, it's, you know, and all those things. But really, (sighs) films used to be made over a much longer period of time. They've gotten shorter, 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 shorter. And the way, you know, and obviously it's like, oh, budget, 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 but and I get that, I produce, I know exactly what it feels (laughs) like when you're trying to like squeeze the last bit out of your budget to make sure something happens in a certain way But it it is a matter of, we have to look at budgets because people can't, you know Mm
2: -hmm.
3: you can't you know, you don't go to the shoe cobbler and say, oh well you know I know it's going to be 10 euros but I'm only going to give you six euros to fix it and then they you know put in two nails and the heel falls off two days later you know it's like you do have to think about things in in the bigger in a bigger
1: way sometimes yeah thinking about the bigger picture then um I want to go back to talking about your work um because you're you're still creating work and there's new work that you're making as well um, what are you working on now, these days? Well, at the moment, I was, I actually was
3: just, shoot, I was directing the Irish leg of um, a feature documentary. So yesterday, for Bloomsday, just a what little one day thing, but uh, it's um, a documentary on Joyce, on Joyce's women, actually, his feminist women, which is right up my street. OK. So, yeah, so it's for Left Bank. It's Left Bank film and it's a French director is the director of Mm -hmm. the whole lot. But uh, so, yeah, so I was running around town yesterday with a crew catching people off guard as they celebrated Bloomsday with... Port and whiskey and oysters and all those <laughs> wonderful things <laughs> and getting readings. That was great. No, that was really good. And I think they're back again in October. So there's, you know, it's been shot over a period of time. So yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll be back running around again, no doubt. And then I'm also working on a new child. Well, it's young people's um TV show called Keep It Up, and it's with. 13 year old girls and it's asking the question of why are so many dropping out of sport because there's a huge drop off um, in that age Mm. group um, of young girls so so yeah I'm going I'm going to sports camp for two weeks (laughs) (laughs) there's a load of 13 year old girls and we're going to go and do loads of stuff and play and have a good time and you know jump around the place and jump off peers and climb up walls and <laughs> meet, meet meet some sporting superstars um to encourage us all to keep active at some
1: level, hopefully. That's, that sounds um, that sounds just like Loads of fun, actually.
3: <laughs> yeah, we're. I'm. A, I. I keep looking at everything. We're going and checking out locations, and I'm like, going, mm, will I be able to do the zip line. I totally want to do that. <laughs> and then putting in sports, like what sports are we going to do? It's like, yeah, can we go see horses? I want to see horses. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we're 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 all getting a little bit excited about uh, the idea of just going and being in sports camp for a couple of weeks. That should that
1: should be a lot of fun. Class, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, and. Look, I know you're not allowed to tell me about everything that you're working on, but yeah. um, you did tell me that you were developing some TV stuff.
3: I am. I'm working away on a few on a few bits, actually. Um, I've one script that I'm really excited about called R.I.P., which I'm pegging away on, and it's a six-part series, and it's all, it's all women, loads of women, loads of very funny women, um, who are yeah? It's another small town, actually.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's see, small town
3: in Ireland. <laughs> I knew that this was the
1: theme. <laughs>
3: and, uh, but yeah, no, I lo- I love complex women. I love women's relationships, and be they mother, daughter, whatever. That's the family way, and you know, right the way through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, this is three sisters, so it's. Three grown sisters, three women who are like in their 30s, 40s. And just that interrelationship. I think family relationships are hilarious anyway, at the best of times, because mm. you stay being the person you are. Like I'm the youngest in my house, and I still very much get treated like the little tickle. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh, there she goes again, you know? My two older sisters, you know, look at me as if they're like, oh, just stop, you know? um you get treated like the kid. I'll always be the kid. It doesn't matter what age I get to. And I see it with my mum even and her older sister. And like her older sister's in her 80s. But mom was <laughs> still the little sister in that relationship. And am yeah. very much so. And you can see. And I love that. I love that idea of um, you can't grow out of your place inside a family, if you know, to a certain extent. There's a couple of other, I've another... Um, feature script that I'm working on as well, which is young people's as well, which is lots of fun. <laughs> I've been very early development as well. And then I have another one, actually I have another one. I just remember I have another <laughs> one um which is about older people, but it's music based. Right. Uh, one. But it's uh yeah all the main characters will be in their late sixties, early seventies. So yeah,
1: that's you're 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 not short of a project or two
3: oh well you have to You have a few in the drawer you know you do you have to
1: have a few plates spinning as yeah. we say as we, and well, if you we get say. if
3: you get bored of one you can go talk to one of the others
1: you know it's grand right <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for chatting to us today um thank i suppose you. you won't have been across in london for like a year or more
3: yeah no the last time i was in, i was over in london actually it was for uh, i got Nom- I'm there's a project I'm helping out on but uh, I got nominated for um, the new voice award for the Ed Fest and it was over in London a couple of years ago and I was over for that and one of the writer directors that I met over there Alex has a fantastic project that he's shooting in London that mm-hmm. um, I'm helping out on but it's about Olive Morris who's just, I, my mind was blown when I read about her yeah, um, and I know. I know this project.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I know Alex. Um, yeah,
3: he's fantastic. And so I've been working away with Alex a little bit. We we actually try. We try. We were thinking about trying to shoot it here over mm-hmm. in Ireland, and uh, we would look at that as an idea. But yeah, it's a story that needs to be told so badly. She was arrested defending a black man from police brutality. Mm. And Olive's
1: a young uh, woman of colour was, as well, right?
3: Yes. So she was a young black woman. She was 17 at the time. She was, mm-hmm. was like, she was a child. And she was arrested at the time and brought to the station. She was threatened with rape. She was threatened. Like, I find it really hard to get my head around how, you know, um, strong a woman she was, but mm-hmm. She was also part of the squatter's rights and finding homes and like equality within that area of London through the 70s. Then she but then she traveled the world. She, she traveled and she was one of the original female Black Panthers in London, but she went over to New York. She met the Black Panthers there. She was in Belfast
2: mm-hmm.
3: and she met people there. And she died incredibly young. Um, and I think, which makes it, I think that's nearly part of it because she devoted the little life she had yeah. to making things better um, yeah. for so many and an unbelievable force of nature mm. um, that I really think it's, it's so important and so important for women to see, so important for young Black women to see mm-hmm. um, and her to be celebrated like because... The fact that I, I mean, even though I'm in Ireland, I'm horrified that I don't know about her. I'm yeah. horrified I didn't know about her before. Yeah. And yeah. It, it blows my mind that it, you could be in the UK, like where she was brought up, where all of this stuff happened and yeah. her not to be in every textbook that a kid is reading in class.
1: That's, that's exactly how I felt about it. So I, I met Alex, the, the writer, of this project about a year ago and he told me about <clears throat> about this this script the ballad of olive, olive morris and i and i straight away said that to him i said i can't believe i've never heard of this person because i hadn't and this all happened in brixton which is a stone throw from where i am and i and i had no history of it i had no knowledge of olive as an activist i had no knowledge of the impact that she had and that's just exactly the reason why a film like that needs to get made, isn't
3: it? Yeah, 100%. And it's like we can talk all we want about equality, about representation, about this these people are there, they're in our history, they just haven't been celebrated yet.
1: Roshin, thank you so much for for chatting to us today. And Not um, at
3: all.
1: we look forward to seeing some of your <laughs> many many projects i getting old I'm in a
3: hurry <laughs> I have to just make loads of stuff now
1: <laughs> good 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 well look at um, as you know we'll be staying in touch with you but yeah please stay in touch with us and we'll see you in London sometime soon hopefully very soon right. take care thanks bye
0: well, that's it from us here today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. We wish Roisin the best in all of her upcoming projects. We're so excited here at IFL to see what's next. Don't forget to follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And also check out our current film program that we have in store for you on our website in the Irish Film from Home section, where you can watch some amazing shorts and documentaries from the comfort of your own home. If you enjoyed today, make sure to check out some of our other podcasts where we chat to many different IFTA nominees. I'll find Final thank you to the Irish Emigrant Support Programme and Culture Ireland, who've been brilliant supporters of ours for years, Garamila Mahakut. The Irish Film London podcast is produced by me, Neve Brannigan. Our interviewer today was the head of Irish Film London, Jerry Maguire, and our theme music is by Kevin MacLeod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again soon.